Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey out there, rock and rollers. Welcome to episode number 107 of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast. The Amsterdam edition, as the wolf is settling in Amsterdam for a bit these days. I got to tell you, it's a little colder than it was in London and maybe even rainier. Didn't see that coming, but it is fun to be in Amsterdam. uh, And I'm excited to have some stuff lined up for next year, including the outset of the Metallica two-year world tour where they do two nights in a town, and they don't play the same song on either night. That's right. There'll be two totally different set lists every time they hit a city. And they're kicking it off in Amsterdam in April 2023, and the Wolf's going to be at both shows. So look forward to reviews of those coming your way in about five months or so, maybe six. But we appreciate everybody tuning into our show on Aerosmith's permanent vacation last week. It was a fun one for me and Jackson to review. Big comeback for them. An important time in our lives as teenagers with them all over MTV. And we thought it'd be fun on the 35th anniversary of that record to make sure we we talked about that one. And we had some great comments on there, and we really appreciate them. We're staying on that memory lane thing here, doing another anniversary, an album turning 40 this year, squeezing it in before the end of 2022, came out in 1982, and that's Van Halen's Diver Down which sold 4 million copies of the U.S., but almost didn't come to pass. Van Halen had just finished up the Fair Warning Tour. They retired. They were going to get a vacation, finally, after about five years of working hard, record tour, record tour, and all that. But they put out a single. It was a cover, Oh Pretty Woman, the Roy Orbison classic, and it hit the charts. So then Warner Brothers said, hey, I got a hit single. We got to have a record to go with it. You got to make an album. So instead of getting vacation, they ran in in 12 days. They produced Diver Down which is chock full of covers, which is why it gets a lot of guff from Van Halen fans and hard rock fans. You've got Eddie Van Halen, the world's most extraordinary guitar player. You've got Diamond David Lee Roth, this flamboyant lead singer, and you come out and do Happy Trails and Where Have All the Good Times Gone? Are you kidding me? But it's still got in the charts. It's still sold over $4 million in the U.S., and it still set them up for incredible success with 1984, which would be coming uh, in the next 24 months after the release of this. So we decided to dive into this before the 2022 was out, but it's still the 40th anniversary of Diver Down, and talk about how we came to it. And even though it's very short, it's only 31 minutes, we'll manage to talk about it for about twice that amount of time. You know us. Uh, now, as usual, we have to give shout outs because we are a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network with nearly 100 shows, all music, all genres. There's something in there for everybody. And we like to give shout outs to the folks who've been on our show, or who've had us on their show, like Jay Scott at The Hook Rocks, like Christy Alexander Hallberg, 
of rock is lit, like Martin Popoff, History in Five Songs, like Paul Stevenson of Vintage Rock Pod and This Day Rocks. And you could never do this without Paul. He's a huge supporter of ours, and we really appreciate that, Paul. And of course, we give shout outs to the Kiss Kings themselves, Tom and Zeus of the Shout It Out Loudcast, the number one Kiss podcast in the world. We appreciate the shout outs that you give us on your show, guys. And of course, we also have to give a shout out to our incredible sponsor, rarevinyl.com. Guys, there's a little time left before the holidays, right? You're looking for that special something for your rock and roll fan in your life? Go to rarevinyl.com. They've got over a quarter of a million items in stock. They ship all over the world. They take great care to make sure it gets to you in pristine condition. And you can use the code podcast, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, to get 10% off, not only the first order, but with every order you make from rarevinyl.com over the years. They have an incredible selection really most any band that you want. It's not just records. It might be CDs. It could be singles. It could be tour programs, maybe a ticket stub, whatever. Go to rarevinyl.com. Use code podcast. Save yourself 10%. You'll be glad that you did. And of course, we want you to subscribe and download wherever you get your podcasts. Apple, iTunes, Spotify. Good Pods is very good to us. Go to Good Pods. You can see us in the top 10 and top 20 music lists. And that always makes us feel real good. Plus, you can send us notes on there and let us know what you're thinking about. So it's a fun way to interact with us and with other podcasters. Definitely recommend Good Pods. But please, if you're thinking about it, please give us a good positive review. It just helps us find more rock and roll fans like you. Now, back to Van Halen. In the late 80s, I was a huge Van Halen fan. I would have put Van Halen in my top three, certainly top five bands of all time. They were running with Sammy. They were doing Bigger albums, big tours, big hits with Sammy Hagar and their band. 1988, saw the release of OU812 when we were in high school. Right before we went to college, they did Four Lawful Carnal Knowledge. With Ed playing with a drill on his guitar and pound cake. And we couldn't wait to see them live. And it was, I think it was the first concert that Jackson and I actually saw together was Van Halen in the Orlando Arena in fall of 1991 uh, with Alice in Chains opening for them. So that's a special memory for us. So we thought we'd go back to this album because it's celebrating, Diver Down is celebrating its 40th anniversary this year. And it's also a little controversial with all the covers, but it's still an important part of the catalog. So why don't you join us? Okay, Jackson and I are going deep on Diver Down by Van Halen right here on The Wolf. And I know for years we've kind of and it's not just us, it's Van Halen fans, it's rock fans who've kind of dogged the Diver Down album, not only because of all the covers, but because it's very short. You know, it's it's like 31 minutes and 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 that's about it. But the fact of the matter is, fair warning was only like seven seconds longer, and it came out the year before. Now, I think they get I think they get a little bit of leeway there because it had unchained on it, which is badass. But uh but yeah, I mean, between the covers and the brevity of the record, this is an odd one. I mean, I, look, I like it, but I understand why people have issues with Diver Down. And I can see how you would have been concerned or confused if you had just picked the record up in 1982, like mm-hmm. Sight Unseen. You were a huge Van Halen fan. Okay, boom. Next one comes out. Here we go. What is this? What right. did I just, just listened to? It's very silly. There's a lot of covers. I know that... I don't think I don't think Fair Warning went over as well as they thought it would. It, it, Fair Warning is dark, it's nasty, it's greasy. 
uh, but it's all original. And I think they were looking for a change of pace. I think Warner Brothers really did not like fair warning. They they wanted more hits, even though, right. to your point, Unchained is probably one of the best songs they've ever done. Mean Streets is a great song. I really like that record. I just think it kind of fell flat, especially in the sales category, even though it did go platinum. They were looking for something different on this one. Yeah, I mean, I think it actually, you know, sold a couple million copies, you know, so that's pretty good, you know, but look, the, the single in the US and the opening single was So This Is Love, which is, it's a decent Van Halen song. It's not one that people clamored for throughout the 80s and the 90s. Unchained was released as a single, but really in Europe and not in America. You kind of mm-hmm. had to hunt it down if you're an American rock fan. Same with Main Street, released in Europe, not in America. But here's what I didn't realize in doing a little research for this for this record. They came off the tour for fair warning. All right. Mm-hmm. And then they were going to get a vacation. They're going to get a rest because, you know, really it was like 78's first album. 78 is Van Halen 2. 1980s women and children first. 1981 is fair warning. And they're touring all the time for that. It's like, okay, you guys are going to get to take a break. Cool. It's like, all right, but we want to, we want to do something so people don't forget us. And they like pretty woman, right? So they go in and they cut pretty woman, which is obviously a, uh, a cover, you know, Roy Orbison mm-hmm. classic. Right. Dave loves to do covers, we can tell. And so, yeah, they, they go back and they do that. They back it with Happy Trails because they could rip that pretty easily, right? It's, uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's an old Dale Evans song. We can put that on the B-side. Great. And so we'll put this out so people don't forget about us. And then we'll go take a break for a little while. Well, they do that. And then Pretty Woman goes on the charts. And of course, the record comes like, hey there, boys. We gotta hit it. Now we need another album. It's like, no, we don't want to do an album. We want to take a break. It's like, no, you can't. If you got a hit single, you got to have an album to promote mm. it, right? So they went in in 12 days and recorded the rest of Diver Down. So for something they basically did in 12 days, I think it's pretty good. But that kind of tells you more of the story, doesn't it? Right. And I think the uh, I think the total price tag on it was like $46,000, which was less than their debut record. So yeah, I mean, it was it was quick, it was dirty. And I, I think to your point, it was something they didn't really want to do at the time. You know, you you get to that point where it's you're just exhausted. Yeah. You just want to break. And the record company just, I mean, it, which it seems weird. You've got four records that went platinum. This would go platinum, but you're still worried about people forgetting about us. And if we take six months or a year off, I mean, that's the that's the record company slave driver mentality of I don't care, get back in there and work. And that's Warner Brothers, correct? They were in Warner correct. Brothers all those years? Yeah, correct. So, But now it kind of, to their credit, it kind of worked because Fair Warning was not a huge hit, but uh, this went quadruple platinum in the United States, mm-hmm. Diver Down. So you, you, you make it for $46,000 and then you sell 4 million copies in the US alone, more than 5 million around the world. I hate to say the record company was right because I'm always on the artist's side. I'm always on the artist's side. But, you know, it, it kind of worked out for them. And then they did take a little time before they got to 1984, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which really think, paid off. Right. Right. Because that was that they released that at the end. Well, they released it in 84, but like I think January 1st of 84, which everybody went nuts for in the record business because I, I guess you just don't do that yeah but uh well, the, the band wanted to release it on uh, december 31st 1983 yeah. just so it didn't <laughs> come out in 1984 and, and they're like oh yeah sure yeah we'll do that then you know it's like january 9th or whatever it was <laughs> but i mean that's that's a diamond selling record 
That, Correct. That's one of the really big ones. And thanks to MTV, that was huge for for Van Halen. But this is the one that preceded it. So so how like, before I get into my story, I want to know how mm. you ever came to the record diver down. It had to be in high school. It, so okay. that would mean it was after 1984 and probably after 5150 also. Oh, yeah. Then it, mm-hmm. yeah, then it was like because it, because you know 84 was huge. We've right. talked about that. We did a whole episode on that and how when when it was coming out on MTV, it was big for me. I had a copy of the record. Wait, 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 wait. We have not reviewed 1984 on the show yet. Yeah, we have. We did a whole we have done the first record. We have not done 1984 yet. We we've been saving it. No, we're saving it. Well, I need to stop drinking before I come on the show then. (laughs) Uh, All right. Well, then there you have it then. So (laughs) so I felt okay, so I fell in love with it. And then 5150 came out, different deal, but you know, it it was Van Halen was back. Right. So then I think I worked into it from there. Somebody had a copy of it. So I had already, and and so that was that's what I was trying to think about for this for this review was how when I heard it, Mm -hmm. what else did I have kind of in the in the memory bank to go off of? Right. And a lot of it was crazy from the heat had already come out with just the gigolo and uh, California girl. So I was like, okay, so this is kind of like silly Dave then when he was doing his, his own thing. So in the context that I saw it, it kind of made sense, but I can imagine like we were talking about before, if you got this brand new, you were very confused as to what was happening. Probably so. Yeah, probably so. Now here's the thing. Obviously I love 1984 when it came out summer of 1984, Panama was everywhere. Jump Mm -hmm. hunt for teacher. All the videos were all over MTV. Loved it. Right. Yes. 5150 comes out. It's a new singer and it's different, but there's still some pretty cool Van Halen songs on there. I have to admit that it was in high school, 87, 88, 89. Mm -hmm. And I can't tell you the date, but somewhere in there is when I first heard eruption. And I want to say I was 15 or 16, maybe a sophomore or so in high school. Okay. And it was, I was blown away and it kind of was when I was getting into like Eric Clapton and Jimmy Page, like I love guitar players. Guitar is the heart of rock and roll. Who were the best guitar players in the world? And then that comes into my world. Obviously it had already been out for over a decade, but I hadn't heard it. They didn't play it on the radio that much. And so I hear that. I'm like, whoa, Eruption is unbelievable. Eddie Van Halen's the greatest guitar player in the world. Plus, I already liked him because he had the pop success from 1984. Right. So then I went out and bought the first Van Halen record, as so many people have. And I had a few buddies who were into Van Halen as well. And I'm pretty sure that during this time that OU812 had actually already come out as well, because I think that was 1988. Yeah, it was 88. So it was 88. So... And, and I didn't love everything off that. I did not like, come on, baby, finish what you started. I just didn't think it was very rocking. I didn't think it was really cool. So I'm like, all right, but wait. I went and found this Van Halen 1 record, and it's amazing. Mm. Running with yeah. the devil and ain't talking about love. Start I, to finish. Yeah, the whole thing is fantastic. Yeah. So I was like, so they must have more. I should go out and buy something else. And I kind of encouraged my buddies to kind of do the same thing. So like, okay, <laughs> let, let's not all get the same thing. Like right. you go get Van Halen too. Mm-hmm. You go get, you know, whatever. And I think I chose Diver Down because it had Pretty Woman on it. Because I liked that song. And I had heard, I'd heard it on the radio, along with this odd intruder opening, which we'll we'll get to. Uh, mm-hmm. and maybe I'd seen the video at some point. Probably not, though. And so I took a chance on, all right, well. I've got the first one. I've got 1984. Let's see what Diver Down, the album before 1984, the run-up, 
let's see okay. what that one's all about. And so, yeah, 88, 89, that's when it came into my life. See, that's funny because I did the exact same thing, only I picked uh, Fair Warning instead of Diver Down. And it was gotcha. because I think it because it had Unchained and, and uh, Mean Street, but it was exactly the same deal. It was like, okay, we got to divide and conquer here. You get this one, I'll get this one, then we'll all meet back here and listen right. to these records. Absolutely. No, that's cool. And that's what you had to do back in the day. And, and right. 1988, 89, when a CD is like 15, 16 bucks. Oh, yeah. Where am I going to get 15, 16 bucks? You know, I'm going to start driving soon. I got to have gas money. So I, I don't know. Uh, anyway, so uh, yeah. So I was like, all right, I'll, I'll give this diver down a shot. And I thought, okay, compared to 1984, the first album, and then the two Sammy albums that I was familiar with, I would rank it fifth of those five, to be honest with you. Even behind OU812 and 5150. I don't know if I would do that now, but back okay. in the day... Yeah, uh, that's that's exactly kind of where I put it because it was just less familiar and it had all these odd songs on it. It, it really, yeah. It, it, going back and looking at it now, it really seems like they just kind of had a. We've got these songs that are kind of floating around. They don't, don't really kind of go together, but we can just we can put them together in pa and package it and put it out. But yeah, there really is no continuity. No, and there's not a lot of meat to it. I mean, like we say, it's 31 minutes, which is incredibly short. There's five, there's five covers on here mm -hmm. and they're not all rock covers. Some of them were kind of odd. So, okay, that leaves seven songs, but two of those seven songs are basically intros to other songs, right? right. Intruder is the intro to Pretty Woman and Little Guitars intro is the intro to Little Guitars. So now you're down to five songs, one of which is Cathedral, which was always mm -hmm. part of Ed's solo. And we'll talk about that. It's only a minute and 20 seconds long. So now you're talking about there's four original songs on an album, you know, after you just put one out last year, that will get you some criticism. And I got to believe it. They kind of earn it a little bit. You know, <laughs> if you really only put out four new songs, again, it's a record company pushing them, but still there's a reason a lot of people push back against this album. Right. And, and you show up to the, to the uh, peaches with your money in your hand and you mm -hmm. want me to spend full price on what is basically an EP. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know I don't if know I, I don't know if I'm pulling the trigger on that. Exactly. Exactly. But Hey, bands have got to do what they've got to do. And if the record company is saying you got to put out an album and you still owe them albums. Well, all right. Yeah. You, you kind of got to put out an album, you know, but I think it was, it's, the odd success of this album, the kind of unexpected success of it, I think bought them enough time to be able to do 1984 right. Mm, right, right. And and I think now that going back to looking at it, this is like you're kind of the weird cousin who doesn't really fit into the family, but, but it's really fun to hang around with. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, Dave. David Lee Roth, man. Diamond Dave. Yeah. With that blonde mane, ripped abs, doing your high kicks and your what? Oh, you know, he's he was a front man for his time, but he didn't he wasn't really able to go the distance, really. I mean, yes, he continued to play into his 60s. He's just kind of recently retired. He is an entertainer. There's no doubt mm -hmm. about it. But he's right. not an incredible songwriter. And is he a great singer? I think he's more of a front man than a singer. He, whereas, he's a great. Well, I'm sorry. I was just going to Steven Tyler from our last show. He's both. He's a great singer right. and front man. Dave's more the front man than the singer. And he sings the, he sings the Van Halen songs very well. Mm -hmm. I, I talked earlier about Crazy from the Heat, even though he had a stellar band behind him for his, or especially Incredible his original oh solo career. Yeah. The songwriting 
way fell off and you can see that in his solo records like okay it they sound great like the the musical right. part sounds great the vocals and the lyrics are very yeah. subpar like, so you yeah so to your point yes i think he's an entertainer i mean i, I was listening to uh they they were on rock line or something in 1982 and it was only it was alex Mikey and uh, Dave, I don't know where Eddie was, but, you know, so they comes on, Hey, you know, we've got Van Halen here from St. Louis or something. And then, Hey, you know, Michael Anthony, Alex Van Halen. And then all of a sudden the David Lee Rawls show starts. Who is that man? Yeah. Who is that masked man riding in from this, you know, on the waves of greatness or something. And then he just takes over. So yeah, to be around him would have been exhausting. Just (laughs) exhausting. I think so. The show never stopped ever. Yeah, his mouth never stops. Dude, yeah. And it's always just stuff like that. It's always, you know, the, the cream of the crop, rise to the top, blah, 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 he, he. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, I just I just want to sit here and have a beer and be quiet for two <laughs> seconds. But and so they're 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 huge in California, obviously. They're big in Europe because the Van Halens are from the Netherlands and they got some traction. Hard rock is a little bit bigger over here in Europe than it was mm-hmm. in America at the time. So so that's going well for them. And obviously they're selling some records around America. You know, the first album did very well. And it's also one of those, it, it might have been fine out of the gate, but it really just kind of continued to sell over time. So when no, 1984 comes out, that sells well. And so does the first album. You know, when 5150 comes out, that sells well. And so does the first album. Like it, every generation catches up with the first album because of eruption and things like that. And it just kind of continues to sell to this day. But this was an interesting point in time for them. And I just thought on its 40th anniversary, even though it came out, I think it was April of 1982. Before 1982's out, this is one that we wanted to review because it's, it's an important part of the Van Halen story. Yes. I, th- I think this the, the events that surrounded this record would shape how the band moved on from here. I think that's fair to say, you know, because there's a lot of covers on here, which I look, if you did a cover as your lead single, right? And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden it's really big. Oh, okay. Uh, well, now the record company's demanding we give them more. What do you do? Well, just give them some more covers, right? If the cover worked, how about some different covers? How about some more covers, you know? But the fact of the matter is, especially once Dave left, they never really played anything off this album. Yeah. Right. This one did kind of get lost to history. And this is where the story of this record kind of gets a little fuzzy because I was listening to some interviews at about this time and everybody was excited. Oh, we can't, you know, we're so excited about this record, you know, coming out, had so much fun, you know, revisiting these songs that we love these. But that that's not the story that I've heard after that. Basically, the the story, as I understand it, is Ed was so upset with this record that he went out and built 5150 because he never wanted to be told what to do again. Ah, interesting. And that was that was the thing is that Warner Brothers was saying, if you want to put a record out, we want hits. We want hits. We want you to do these songs, get in there and record these. And even though, like I said, when the when the record was coming out, he was oh so excited, blah, blah, blah. He went and filed permits so that he would ne- he said he'd rather go down in flames on his own. Mm-hmm. and be told what to do ever again so from that we got the 5150 studio which is still being used today by the one and only mr wolf van halen that's right to do his stuff so yeah he he really wanted a place where he could just do his own thing and hey god bless him for doing that right because after that i know a lot of people are sour on the sammy years or you know van halen changed at that point because when you're in the 70s and your kids 
and all you want to do is sing about partying and having fun. And then you get to the eighties and maybe not Dave, but the rest of the guys are like husbands and dads uh -huh. and stuff like that. Your perspective changes. You sing and write different kinds of songs. And I understand that if the audience grows up with them, that's great. But I don't think Dave ever really did or ever really wanted to. No, no. You know? And, and dude, he, what was that record he did in the nineties? Uh, uh, devil uh yeah little is enough something yeah i heard something off of that i'm like wow sensible still, shoes song like that song you're sucks. still doing the same thing you're still <laughs> stuck in like 1978 1979 that you know the part everything's a party it's a full-time deal and yeah it's just it, you have to move on at some point in time and i don't think dave ever wanted to yeah, it's like you've got that one buddy who was like a big time athlete in high school or whatever. And it's like, you know, the, the year after you graduate, you're like, oh, yeah, man, you were great in high school. Yeah, dude. Yeah, I was, I was great. I scored all these points. And then like 30 years later, you want to talk about, so how's business? You know, how's your family? It's like, do you remember how awesome I was in high school? I'm like, no, dude, I don't care anymore. I mean, I'm glad it happened. You know, it was fun and all, but it was 30 years ago. Like, are we moving on or are you still wearing that Letterman's jacket? Okay. <laughs> do you cool. still have the VHS tapes of our basketball games? <laughs> Why do you have those? <laughs> hey guys, this is Chris from My Rock and Roll Heaven, and you're listening to the Ugly American Werewolf in London podcast. All right. Well, let's let's try to jump into it because this is a short record, and we tend to go long on everything. So let's all right. <laughs> let's jump in. You start off with "Where Have All the Good Times Gone," which is a Ray Davies song a kink song and i guess david had had a like a ktel special record that you know had like 30 some odd kink song on it so he could he could rattle them off they already had a lot of success with you really got me which is often played on the radio in america right after they play eruption because eruptions you know so brief i don't know, is it even mm -hmm. two minutes i don't think so they would play eruption and you really got me back to back so if you're okay well we're doing some covers we can do the kinks again you know and so they start with where have all the good times gone right and I didn't really know that this was a kink song and you don't want to go long on here. So I'll be quiet on this, but that to me, the kinks do not get enough credit in the history of rock and roll. They kind of get pushed to the side a little bit. You know, you get the Beatles, you get the stones. Don't forget about the kinks. They wrote some pretty cool songs. I created not, distortion, you know, and all correct. that kind of yeah, stuff. Dave, Dave pretty was, important yeah. stuff. Correct. Um, we can go into that hopefully on a later episode, but I, think it's very strange so go let's go back to the title real quick yeah. diver down what is diver down what is what does that mean what why would you right. pick that yeah yeah well and that's dave right i mean mm -hmm. you know they put mm -hmm. the flag up because the right. flag that you put on your boat where there's somebody under the water there you put that flag up so you're not running mm -hmm. boats real fast around there and you're careful on the surface sure but it's an it's a double entendre as mm -hmm. only dave can do right Dive right. her down because he's a bit of a diver. Yes, correct. Of muffs. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> hey, have it a boobit, have it a hey, ha ha. But the other thing is too, then there's the whole you were talking about, you know, the diving flag and and there's something going on. And his thing was, well, there's something going on underneath that you can't see. Okay. So they weren't really super excited with each other during uh fair warning. And now you I mean, I'm not a psychiatrist, but where have all the good times gone? That's what you're gonna pick to <laughs> say what's going on with this band. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I didn't think other, of that. Yeah, the other thing about this 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 track is if you go back and listen to the kinks one it's mm -hmm. kind of sad like it's a guy i think he's supposed to be in his 40s and it's just mm -hmm. you know like where have all the good times gone 
the the music on this track does not match what they're singing. I mean, this is an upbeat. It's a pretty cool thing, but then you listen. Yeah, where are all the good times? What? works but it's very it's a very odd dichotomy between the music and the lyrics and maybe it was a reaction to like hey we're about to go on vacation for a few months you know we could buy ferraris we can go to hawaii Mm -hmm. for a month but now we got to go back to work i mean where did all where have all the good times gone you know that kind of thing i like al's drums through this it's got a great heavy riff and some good runs on it but i mean it's kind of simple compared to some of the compared to what we had at that point become accustomed to from from Eddie, right? I mean, the solo yes. has a little magic on it, but it's not its best. Yes, but I think here is the is part of the genius of Eddie Van Halen is he knows when to give you the full face blast, mm-hmm. and he also knows when to tone it down. This is one of those riffs where you could probably sit there and figure it out yourself if you were fairly, you know semi-adept at playing the guitar and then you're like hey i can play this song off the record it's simple but it works i agree with you. and it's it's a fine way to start off the yeah. record like it, it's a, it's a rocker you know so so we get it going but let's get into the second tune which is hang em high great okay. title for a van halen song right you know <laughs> has entendres if that's what you're looking for you know yeah I just thought it was interesting that Eddie said about this song. I just played that loose and I kind of just cut it and we did it. I play it better than the album every time I play it. Like every night <laughs> I play it, I play it better than that because it's loose and you can do that. You know, he does some really cool stuff at the start and then yeah. a little bit more after the first chorus. And then we're starting to get it. Okay. This is more like it. This is more like the Van Halen yeah. that we're looking for. And this is kind of the, there's, there's like two different ways that they play songs. One is that Ed does the like the main riff, and mm-hmm. then everybody else kind of fills in around him. Yeah, he's got a riff at the beginning, but then Mikey comes in on the bass and sets the groove, and mm-hmm. then Ed just kind of floats around on top and yes. peppers it in. So it's kind of it's so again, it's not like the first song at all where he's playing the main riff, but it works, and it's really fun to hear Mikey in down there in the basement just. Grooving around. Grooving around, yeah. And I think yeah. it gave him the room. I, I think this is the best. It might be the best solo on the record. Yes. I, I would I would say the same thing. And it, it is nice that they didn't do all covers. <laughs> yeah, thank goodness. You yeah. Know? But he also said it was something that had been around for a while. And they finally kind of pieced it together. It's like he didn't even know how good it was, the solo. Because I mean, he's like, oh, I, I, I do that better every night. I'm like, no, nah, man, it's actually pretty damn good. <laughs> You know? Well, and that, that's got to be the tough thing, too, as an artist to listen to this thing and say, oh, you know, I could have I missed a note or I could have played that better or something. But, yeah, to, to the fans, it sounds awesome. Um, 
one of the things that they were talking about on this record is they did it a little bit differently. Like, I guess they used, they have like the, they would lay down the skeleton Mm -hmm. and then they would go and come back and and do the rest of the parts. But in the old way of doing things, they would do all of the skeletons first and then come back and do the rest of the song. Whereas this one, they would do it one song at a time. Oh, I see. Finish a song and then move on to the next song. He said, yeah, he said that worked out a lot better. Focused them a little more and let them do it faster than having to revisit things a thousand times. The other thing that he said too about Fair Warning was that there was a lot of mixing and a lot of overdubbing. Okay. And I think maybe on this one they told him, hey, listen, just just go in there and play what you feel. And you know, we we don't really have the time or the patience to to do another record like that where you have just zillions of hours of remixing this. Right. No, no, you're right about that, you know. But I got to make this point early in the show here. All right. So this song, like the seven original songs on the album, are just like all the songs in Van Halen's catalog with Dave. All four members get equal contribution. Song written Mm -hmm. by Eddie Van Halen, Alex Van Halen, David Lee Roth, and Michael Anthony. Mm -hmm. It is very rare for bands to do that. And usually it leads to great longevity, right? Like R.E.M., did that Peter Buck's like I've done the research. The reason bands break up is because of issues over right publishing royalties, right? So we'll just give everybody their fourth, and they never had a breakup. Eventually, Bill Berry left, but they never had you know really you know people in and out. You two, same way. I gotta believe that Bono writes most all those lyrics, right? Does Larry Mullen write a lot of lyrics? No. Do I need to give him a quarter? Probably not. But they're like, look, we came up in this together. We all came from mm-hmm. nothing. Let's all take the royalties together. And God love them. You two has never had a lineup change in 45 years. But Van Halen <laughs> did it right. And they still had issues. They had issues with Dave. They had issues with Sammy. Eventually they had issues with Mike. I mean, it's like, well, what's going on here? You know, and mm-hmm. I think it's, I think it's it's some point you got to say it's the van halen brothers and although eddie seems like an easygoing cool guy maybe to outsiders yeah but i got a feeling when he's doing business he might be a little difficult to deal with i'm not sure that that's that's the vibe that i get i can because if you listen to people who know him casually mm-hmm. you know i met him or blah blah he's oh, the, super yeah, he's guy. the greatest guy yeah very very giving very uh very humble when he talked but yeah to do business with him or to to be in a professional relationship right it sounds like it was very difficult and then he's got his brothers yeah you know so it's, it's never just you against that it's you versus both of correct them. yeah so yeah so basically if you're like just say you're michael anthony so basically you've got a quarter share going against half of right. the band because they're never they're never going to break rank with each other exactly exactly right yeah. all right well, well let's i mean that's that's a good one although it's not one that i listen to a whole lot i, I think that's a good solid van halen song hang them high okay let's let's get to yeah. song number three which is another big reason that i picked up the album yes i heard pretty woman and that's great but in addition to having the first album in 1984 and and the sammy records there was a vhs called live without a net from new haven connecticut from the 5150 mm. tour okay okay yeah and my dad had this killer killer stereo set up where everything was connected including connecting the vcr into the stereo so not only mm. could you watch your stuff in stereo but you could then dub it onto a cassette which you could then listen to in your car 
Okay. So, and famously, until they did uh, Right Here, Right Now live, Van Halen never did a live album. They didn't have a live album with Dave and they didn't have a live album with Sammy until four albums in. I'm sorry, three albums in. And I, when we were in college, that came out. It was a really big deal for us. But I really wanted a live Van Halen record. So I dubbed that cassette. I'm sorry, the VHS onto a 90-minute Maxell cassette. And I listened to that thing night and day. And of course, that has Eddie's live solo on it, where he does three, uh, 316 before mm-hmm. he ever laid it down on Four and Lawful Carnal Knowledge, where he does Mean Streets intro on there. Yeah. It, it, he ends with Eruption, but then he in the middle, he did Cathedral. And Cathedral blew me away because it's not fast tapping. It's not a lot of picking. It's you're taking the volume knob and you're messing with it while you do a little bit of hammering on and pulling off, I guess. I've still never seen anyone ever do Anything like this in rock and roll. I've seen all the greatest rock guitarists you can list, and I've never seen anyone do anything like Cathedral other than Eddie Van Halen. Right. And just a quick point. Uh, it was not recorded in New Haven. It was recorded in New Haven, Connecticut. Well, that's they what they call the name it for, that for the evening. That's right. And honestly, this song, like when I first heard it, I was kind of like, eh, whatever. Like it wasn't fast. It wasn't. It was. Eh. But then you showed me that tape right and to watch him mess with the knob you're like wait a minute yeah how did you even think to do that that is fantastic it it's like uh there's a joe satriani tone called i think it's mystical potato head groove mm-hmm. and you listen to it and you're like eh, you know whatever it kind of sounds like a lot of the other stuff but when you watch him play it live he takes his right hand and he goes up and he grabs the the neck and makes like a capo and then play it's it's flourishing basically so when you watch him live it's a lot cooler the the same thing with this like to watch him do that and you say okay now i understand how he makes that sound it made it so much better and again just somebody who never stopped messing with you know what else can i do well what if i Mm -hmm. did this oh okay that sounds that sounds cool i can make it sound like an organ you really do feel like you're in a church it's got to be a synthesizer or something no No. it's, it's just playing the guitar and messing with the volume but he did say that he got kind of got burned on a little bit because he plays it so hard that the knob would freeze up on it right so you had to be real careful with you know really just kind of being delicate with it to not just melt the thing no you're right and i remember telling people oh this is a it's just like a minute and a half keyboard solo that eddie van halen does that's what i thought until i yeah. saw a live without a net i'm like Holy shit, he's doing that with a guitar. <laughs> Unbelievable. You know? Well, and especially, especially too, if you came into it from the 1984 days, you would just imagine it's just a, it's a synthesizer like he plays on, on 84. No, mm-hmm. it's not at all. This was, I don't think he did, well, a little bit maybe on Dancing in the Street, but a lot of it was, it was all guitar. There was no keyboards. Absolutely. You know, and, and right. It kind of sounds like you're in church with this cathedral. That's why you named right. it cathedral, you know? So that's a lot. We've talked a lot longer than the length of the song on it, but I, <laughs> look, it's, to me, it's an achievement in guitar heroics that I've never mm-hmm. seen anyone before or do before or since. And he said he was, you know, 
he'd been sitting on it for about a year. You know, it didn't make it on fair warning. So I was like, okay, well, I, I can put this down, you know. But see, even that, Jackson, which doesn't have any other, it doesn't have any singing on it, doesn't have any lyrics, doesn't have any other instruments on it. Even for that, he only gets one quarter of the writing for that mm-hmm. song. Right. And and I think that that is, you know, you mentioned you two. I think they do a lot of writing in the in the space. Mm-hmm. You know, like somebody will come in with an idea and then people kind of add to it. So in that case, okay, you know what? Maybe, you know, I can see justifying it. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. But yeah, I, this is basically my comp- uh, composition. I did it all myself. But yeah, but contractually, I have to give everybody else a quarter share of this that starts to wear on you a little bit. Yeah, I mean, at least on Eruption, there are some drums and bass at the beginning of it, and they do that before they walk off stage to let Eddie do his thing. But, you know, on this, that's just Ed. That's all it is, you know? So it's a little weird, but, you know, maybe that that feeds into all the tensions that would eventually arise. Right, right. All right, number four song is Secrets. Now, what do you think about this number four track, Secrets, Jackson? It's it's a nice change of pace. Like it's mm-hmm. it's slower, mm-hmm. right? And yep. so yeah, it it I think it works. I think again, it it does it. None of these songs really fit in together with each other, <laughs> right? But yeah. when you listen to the whole thing, you're like, yeah, okay, this you know it work it works. It's different. I mean, I kind of like it. it. Dave is you know he's got he's doing his Dave the soft Dave voice. Mm-hmm. You know, like his hey, come on over, it's me, Dave. <laughs> but no, I think it works. I think it works. I totally forgot about this one. And I think I know why. I think I would listen to Cathedral when I was listening to this record. Like, oh God, I love that. And then I wanted to get to Pretty Woman. So I would often skip it. And so I, I, I don't remember this one being what it was. Honestly, when it starts off, it sounds like it's a very like 80s soundtrack movie, like background music. You know, it's, it sounds <laughs> yeah. like John Cusack be like, so I graduated from high school. Would you do <laughs> I couldn't get the girl to like me. You know, it's just, it just, that just harkens right back to that. I actually really like this. It's, it's kind of mellow without, mm-hmm. you know, huge guitar heroics all over it, but it's, it's kind of got that, that rhythm of the sweet road kind of thing. And, but then uh, doing some research, I saw that Dave was like, yeah, I uh, I bought a bunch of greeting cards and get well cards from Albuquerque, New Mexico that have a lot of Native American style like poetry in it. So, you know, it, of course it, you did. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's got some some lyrics that that really it, it's odd. Right. It, it's an, if you listen to the lyrics. So when you hear something like uh, her feet are making tracks in the winter snows, she's got a rainbow that touches her shoulder. She'd be headed where the thunder rolls. She's as strong as mountains, walks tall as the trees. She'll be gone tomorrow like the silent breeze. And he, he's pulling some stuff from that. But there's also like a little Dave entendre, like, wait like the wind, watch where she blows. Oh, yeah, I know what you're, <laughs> I know what you're talking about, Dave. <laughs> we all do, you know. Uh, but actually, you know, I, this was the one I was happy to rediscover. There's usually one, at least, that you right. totally forgot about yeah. or you didn't understand as well when you were younger or whatever. And to me, this is that one good one. It's good to hear this one, actually. Yeah, and and it's I like the way that he I don't even know what you would call it, like chord progressions. He kind of goes up and then down on the on the neck, 
just mm-hmm. kind of walks it up and down. I, I read somewhere I thought that he had used he's got one of those double neck uh Gibsons, the, the twelve seventy five. Yeah, correct. So that's cool to think to think about him playing the Jimmy Page guitar also. Yeah, I'm like, thanks for telling us that, man. That's unbelievable. Like, yeah. Wow, you know, that's I, that's really cool. And the solo, one take. Yeah, yeah. And I <laughs> and I could I could see how again they, this this was down and dirty. They were trying to get this done, and sometimes that's all you need, Ed. You don't need thousands of hours of redubbing and and going over it. Sometimes you just lay it down, perfect, right off yeah, the bat. Absolutely, you know. So good, good little nugget to find uh, secrets yeah. off of. And I, uh, and I like uh, it. And yeah. on the way, on the very very end, he just does a little bit of bing 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 tapping on the way out, just kind of the the Eddie Van Halen signature. Yes. All right. But now, okay. So. The fifth song is called Intruder. The sixth mm-hmm. song is Oh, Pretty Woman. All right. Correct. Like we said, they recorded Pretty Woman to be kind of like the don't forget about a song while we go take a break and, and then we'll get ready to do our next album. So they made a video <laughs> for, for Pretty Woman. All right. Mm-hmm. And it was it was directed by David Lee Roth. I don't know why anyone <laughs> thought that was a good idea. <laughs> and Pete Angelus, um, who, you know, was... Uh, around Van Halen quite a bit. He helped design some of their lighting. He was apparently influential in creating the VH logo, which is, you know, so iconic. And he's worked with a lot of different folks and and he uh, worked with Hall & Oates, I think, on some of those videos. He Like four or five of his videos were like nominated for video of the year. And yes, he did work on Hot for Teacher and Jump at Panama and all those kind of things. Uh, And he managed the Black Crows either ever since Shake Your Moneymaker or after that, you know, so that he worked with Jimmy Page, obviously, because he did that tour with the Black Crow. So mm-hmm. he, he's kind of an interesting guy. Um, so the two of them made this video and I guess they made the video and it's pretty silly, right? They, they weren't yeah. interested apparently in doing videos at all the band. It's like, if we're going to do it. Let's have some fun with this. So Dave's like, oh, it's kind of a psychedelic weird thing where an, an avant-garde art project where you do it and three days later, you come back and see what you got. So they basically have, it's bizarre. The four guys are in archetype costumes. Like mm-hmm. Mikey's a samurai. Alex is Tarzan with his shades, of course. And he's <laughs> a cowboy. And then Dave's Napoleon in his mansion. All right. Meanwhile, outside, outside of a shed or a shack, there's these two little people who are kind of molesting what appears to be a really hot redhead girl who's like all tied up. And then there's appears like- Appears to be. Appears to be, right, right. We'll come back to that. Mm-hmm. And there's an Igor character in the shed who's like watching this on his TV, even though it's right outside of his house. So then he calls up the four dudes, like, you got to come check this out. And then they come riding in their horse or swinging through the jungle or whatever they do to get there. Of course, Dave shows up in a huge limo because that's Diamond Dave. <laughs> and so this Igor guy is weird. The two little people with the- Womanish is weird, you know. The four guys all weird, uh, and then at the end, of course, the woman takes off her wig. It's actually a guy in drag, mm-hmm. and and then the but they all just kind of show up and look at like what's going on here. It's not like they said stop or like they just kind of showed up and then they were there. It's one of the strangest videos you'll ever see. What happened was they filmed all that stuff, and it was an, a minute and forty or so too long. He's like, well, I'm not cutting this video. I'm not going to cut that. I'm not going to edit that out. This is a masterpiece. So (laughs) instead, he goes and writes this intruder thing 
that's what I don't know. Is it? A, it's a minute forty or something like that. It's yeah. uh, ish something in there. You know, it's longer than Cathedral, but it's weird. And I guess he did it on a synthesizer, but it's it's got a bunch of odd noises on it, like some squealing. It's not very melodic. They would play it on the radio a lot in the lead up to Pretty Woman. Like they play that and then they play Pretty Woman. And I remember listening with my dad on the radio. I'm like, oh, they're playing Pretty Woman. There goes a He's like, this is horrible. We're changing the channel. I'm like, no, no, wait, wait. Pretty Woman's coming. Like, they keep going. And it's it's a long minute 40, man. I got to tell you, especially if you're like not, if you don't know what it is. And yeah. Like, this is odd. This is no good. And 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 Dave's like, yeah, you know, I put that on the synthesizer and we knocked it out. It was done in about an hour. I'm like, it doesn't sound like you spent an hour. Man. It sounds like less. But it was <laughs> interesting to me that that was created because of the video that they didn't want to do in the first place. Yeah. And I think that it, I was mentioning about how this looks like a woman and then it's not a woman. I think that that got that banned from MTV. Right. They didn't uh, play that back much. in the day. Yeah. So you have this thing that you spend time and money on that the, the video channels were just like, yeah, we're not playing this. This is too out there for 1982. Now it, you know, it seems silly right. that you would have a problem with that, but back in the day. Right. And, and I, that's where I was a little bit confused too, because I thought that intruder was something else. Like he, they had worked on this and then they said, no, we're doing these covers. So they threw it in there, but you're right. It was just, we need another minute 40. Hang on. I'll be back in a minute 40 and get you something. Right. Yeah. It, it, yeah it's, it's weird. It's almost like a. It's I don't even know what you would call it. Atonal. I don't even know. It's 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 off, and it's just like that weird, like that's that scratching noise, mm-hmm. and then it goes into Pretty Woman, which is totally different. Where exactly like like when we we'll talk about this in a minute. Like like little guitars, the intro to the regular, it works to the main song. This doesn't work at all. These are two things like like crashing into each other exactly yeah yeah it's kind of weird but obviously the roy orbison and was it is it uh william dees wrote that back in the day huge hit international super hit for roy probably yes. his biggest song you know and van halen didn't do that badly with it it went to number one on the mainstream rock chart number one mm-hmm. on the billboard uh, number 10 on cash box number 12 on the billboard hot 100 so even to get that hot uh, high in the billboard 100 is pretty great did fine back in the netherlands uh, the home country of the, the van halens 33 top 20 in canada so yeah it, it did fine for them and it was backed with happy trails which we'll get to it's the last song on on the record so Look, it, it worked. The intruder part, though, is is very odd. And it's just interesting to me that, again, there's 12 songs on this record, and you get a quarter right of that, everybody does, you know, versus they get nothing for Pretty Woman and the other four covers. So it's like, yeah, we're right. going to squeeze all these, like, 42-second and minute 30-second and minute 20-second quote-unquote songs in here so that we get, so when you sell a whole album, we don't get 
you know, less than half of the royalties, right? Yeah. Could you imagine that? Like, oh, you sold a million, you know, copies of this thing. Well, not really, because we don't get all the money for it. Interesting. I, I would say we were talking about the Kinks before. I think Orbison is in that same that same deal about how he does not get enough credit for putting some really classic tunes down. The problem that I always had with this is that that was Orbison's stick, shtick, I should say, mm-hmm. about yeah. how you know he was kind of this goofy looking dude who had this incredible voice and could write these songs. Diamond Dave is not the same thing. Talking about, oh, you know, right. she's walking away from me. Come on. You know that wasn't true. Give me a break. Yeah, no, you Come know on, what? Dave. Give us a break. Give us a break. Uh, no, it's uh, <laughs> honestly, Roy should be up there with like Elvis, Jerry Lee Lewis, Carl Perkins, Roy. I mean, he should be just right up there with all those guys. Uh, and the Wilburys, you know, I remember that Tom was recording. I was like, you know, you may have the greatest voice in, in all of rock history. And, and Roy was not, you know, self-effacing, but I was like, yeah, that's probably right. <laughs> I've also heard a rumor. I've never seen this confirmed on the internet, but I heard yeah. a rumor that Roy was an albino and he dyed his hair jet black. And that's why he always wore his glasses. So you couldn't see his eyes, which would have been, you know, like pink or, you know, have no color in them. Like, uh, okay. Like, uh, what's his name? Like the two brothers. Uh, with oh, uh, Edgar Winter. Yeah, Edgar and Johnny Winter. Johnny Winter. Yeah. Yeah. I've never seen that in print anywhere, but I've I've heard that rumor before. I'm like, well, that would make some sense because his hair never got gray as he got older, uh, right. and you never saw him without his shades on. So right. And, and if you look at the yeah, and if you look at the shades, they are very very intense like i mean you could you could kill some serious ants with those things yeah no no i mean it's like what you give to actual blind people or people with really bad sight to to make sure no light goes in there you know and and that actually makes sense because i i knew a guy well i mean i still know him who who is an albino Mm -hmm. and i saw and i didn't know that the same thing he dyed his hair and one time i saw him on his phone and he had the phone like an inch from his face and i was like what's going on there Mm -hmm. and somebody's like yeah he's he's an albino he his his natural eyesight is horrendous because of the condition right so that makes that makes sense that that would that would be the case but yeah kind of a goofy dude but could write songs and and that was that was his deal is that he was this kind of you know this lovelorn guy who you know oh if she would only just turn around and take a look oh she walking back to me this is the greatest day of my life dave Never had that problem once. Oh, right. He could have been, he could have been a trash man, and still, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because he just had that vibe about him, like it was always a party all the time. He did, yeah. But Roy had a beautiful, beautiful voice. Uh, yes, and, uh, he was a real loss when he, because he was really psyched when the Wilburys came out. He was really psyched to be back on top. Like, yeah, Tom, Tom Petty was already on top. That was like Tom Petty's heyday. George Harrison had kind of walked away. He's like, I can have a hit or not. I don't really care. Mm-hmm. Dylan's out doing his thing. But for Roy, he's like, we, yeah, we're back on top. Isn't this awesome? You know, he's right. so cool. Hi, this is Christy Alexander Hallberg, author of the novel Searching for Jimmy Page. And you're listening to the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast. All right. Well, that was side one of diver down all what 15 minutes of it or whatever it was <laughs> and now we move on to side two which starts off with yet again a cover dancing in the street mm. writ- written by marvin gay ivy hunter and william stevenson but made famous by martha and the vandellas i mean that was a huge super international hit for them yes this is interesting too because again i came into this after it came out. Mm-hmm. So I came into this even after the the David Bowie, Mick Jagger 
uh, rendition of this. Uh, right, you we, call it a rendition. I call well, it a portion. Okay. <laughs> South America. <laughs> what the fuck, dude? You guys dun, 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 dun. Yeah, I remember watching that on Live Aid thinking, what, 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 what's happening here? What, what, what are we doing? Right. This is a much better version. I didn't know that Marvin Gaye wrote that. I, I don't, I couldn't imagine that he didn't. I mean, the Motown was just a factory back then. Yeah. Like you were just pumping these things out all day, every day. Cool to see his name up there associated with this. Cause yeah, you're right. This was even today, this is a mega hit still. Everybody mm-hmm. knows this. Yeah. And and how they did it at the beginning, I think it was, how did he, what did he say he did? It was kind of like a sequencer. He took a, he, a mini Moog and then he he set the echo in a way that sounds like a sequencer. It's really cool. It doesn't sound like the original, but it, they make it work. No, it's cool. Yeah, it's definitely got that cool effect. And I I don't know how you how you would make that noise that whoop, 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 whoop. It's, yeah. it's really neat. And I like that they, it doesn't try to do all that shredding and, and craziness all over it. They just they right. do a really good version of the song. And you know, a lot of people have done this over the years. I mean, we make fun of, of Mick and, and David for doing it, but the kinks did a, a nice version of it. Little Richard did it. Mamas and the Papas did it. I've heard the Grateful Dead do it on boots before, you know? So, okay. Or, or you know, live albums, Dick's Picks or yeah. whatever, you know? So, I mean, you know, this was such a big hit for, for Motown and for Martha and the Vandellas that a lot of people was like, yeah, we can put our, our flavor onto it. And Van Halen did it. It's, you know, it's actually... It's pretty darn good, I think. Yeah, no, it, it definitely works. It, 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 you remember when um, they did the reunion tour and they had Cool and the Gang open for them? Oh, yeah. And people were like, what? what? Cool and the Gang? What are you talking about? And he's like, well, they're they're a party band. We're a party band. It mm-hmm. kind of goes together. That's what I think of when I hear they're dancing in the streets. Yes, they are this party band and they're bringing the party to you. And by the way, I used to review all the concerts I went to for Ticketmaster and they would almost always get published. I was a top 100 reviewer most of my time in the 2000s, maybe top 50 for a little while. They did not accept my Van Halen reunion review because I said, yes, Cool and the Gang opened for them and they were better than Van Halen and they Ooh. didn't want to hear that. <laughs> Ooh. Well, I'll tell you, I heard the uh, I heard the live record that they put out from that tour and it sounded pretty rough. That's another show for another day. Right? <laughs> Let's move on uh, to the next little odd thing. Okay, so Little Guitars is the next song, really. But there's a 40 or so second intro called Little Guitars Intro. It's, it sounds like Spanish acoustic, but apparently it was made with a custom tiny Les Paul that was not even two feet long. And, and that's kind of where the little guitar name of the song came from. Didn't mm-hmm. know that. Yeah, I, I didn't know it. I mean, I'd seen pictures of it before, but I didn't think it was a real thing. I thought it was like something that he practiced with or something, this little baby Les Paul. But no, yeah. apparently he picked it up, he liked it, and used it on this track. He said he was listening to something called Montoya. It was a uh, group, I think, out of Southern California. And he really liked that sound, like the the flamenco, but he couldn't figure out how to do it on his own. So he just messed with it. Until he could, it, you you play the strings with the pick, 
mm-hmm. the I guess bought the higher strings with the pick, and then you just kind of hammer on the lower part. Boom, 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 boom. Okay, boom, the bass strings. Boom, yeah. boom. So you're right. So you're playing it at you're basically playing two parts at the same time. And I've seen it done before, and it just I mean I can't even you know walk and chew gum at the same time. That it just looks very excellent when someone plays it like that. Dave's like, well, it sounds like a Mexican song, so I'm going to write a song for the senoritas there, you know, and he starts <laughs> doing his thing, right? And, uh, you know, you can, ah, oh, senorita, do you need a friend? But here it is. Here's the one that I really want everyone to hear. Can't crow mm-hmm. before I'm out of the woods, but there's exceptions to the rule. I think he's yeah. talking about, I think he's talking about pulling out. <laughs> I'll say it again. Can't crow till I'm out of the woods, but there's exceptions to the rule. Yeah, it's called wearing a rubber, Dave. (laughs) And when you're on tour, that's exactly what you ought to be doing. Hopefully. I don't think, I think it's ridiculous that that the Little Guitars intro was its own 40-second song and then Little Guitars was a separate song. It's I I think that's just, that's playing the game of, you know, you get one-twelfth of the writing for for 12 songs, you get one-tenth of the writing for whatever. And it's like, we've got so many covers, we've got to put more of our own stuff on here. So let's break this into two parts. And now we get two rights instead of one. I don't know. It, it does sound like Van Halen. Yeah. And and I've never heard this song, one without the other. On, no. Uh, radio on the radio, it's, yeah. It's, it's one, yeah, it is one song. You would never do that. Like, I mean, I could see how, it, like, Eruption and You Really Got Me, they just kind of go together because mm-hmm. that's the way it is on the on the record. Right. The, this, is, this is one song. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'll tell you another funny thing about it, because what he's saying catches catch can in the yeah. in the song. When I was a kid, I didn't really know that phrase, just like I didn't know the phrase caught up in you by 38 special. So I thought they were saying call up in you. I thought Dave was singing about his etch a sketch. Yeah. Oh, sketch, etch a sketch, etch a sketch. He's like, why is Dave singing about his etch a sketch? Doesn't he have better toys to sing about at this point? Etch a sketch, etch a sketch. Yeah, I think everybody. I think everybody heard. Well, every high school or middle school or heard that because catch, catches catch can't what? No one. You didn't know that. You didn't know that phrase. And right. he doesn't even really. He doesn't even really say it like that. He just exactly says, catch as catch. catch can. And then it's the next yeah. line that he starts with can. So right. it's like it sounds like he's singing about his extra sketch. That's all mm-hmm. I know. <laughs> and again, if you don't if you don't have the liner notes back then, you don't know what he's saying. No, no, exactly. You know, I, I think you got. I don't know if you got all the lyrics in there or not. I, I 
obviously I don't have all my records with me, so I can't even go look. I think there was a picture of them when they were on tour in 81 opening for the Rolling Stones in our old neck of the woods, Orlando, I think. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, 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 it's, the, it's a picture of them, but from behind. So you see the band and then the crowd and they're given the wave on the way out. Yeah, that's a, that's I really like that picture. But yeah, but back in the day, I'm like, wow, they played some huge shows back in the day. It's like, well, yeah, they're, they're opening for the Stones. <laughs> Just part of the mystique, right? Yeah. Okay. So that's that. Number 10 song, Big Bad Bill is Sweet William Now, written by mm -hmm. Milton Ager and Jack Yellen. Mm -hmm. This is a funny one, man. I mean, this is, and, and this is very diamond tape. <laughs> right. Right. And and that's why I said, like, when I heard this originally, like, I had already heard the, the Just a Gigolo song. So I'm mm -hmm. thinking, okay, so this is like silly, Dave. Right. And, but... I didn't realize this as a guy who grew up in Louisville and has lived there, you know, almost 40 years over the course of his life. You know, I knew that Dave was from Indiana and I guess he's from near Bloomington, uh, which mm -hmm. is where yeah. in, in a university is. You've been there. Your brother went there. And I guess he said he had this little radio and if he pointed it the right direction at the right time of day, he'd get some odd radio stations from down in Louisville. And I guess... This one is one he picked up because in the in the opening lines, it went down to Louisville. There's a cat named Big Bad Bill. And I'm like, I never realized that, you know. But, you know, it, it's a funny way. He's talking about what a badass he is. He goes around beating up people. He goes, uh, but Bill got himself a wife. Now he leads a different life. <laughs> and it's just, it's so funny. It's so very Dave. Also didn't realize that that's Eddie and Alex's dad playing the clarinet all over that thing. Yeah, you know, it's kind of got that big band swing to it, and a lot of it's because of of Jan van Halen. Yeah, and and this is this is one where it's a silly song, but I would have loved to have been there to watch them, to watch Eddie and Alex Recorded. play with their father. Yeah, yeah, and just be just in awe of him. And I guess the deal was that he hadn't played for a while. And so they really had to talk him into doing it. And he was mm -hmm. like, nah, you know, I'm rusty and man, I'm, I'm going to make mistakes. And Ed's like, the mistakes are what sound great. I mean, yeah. it just, that exactly. it makes that song. And, and I, I, I would imagine that they had to do it kind of together, like all, you know, at once. Yeah. Or, yeah. That, that's what it sounds like to me. So yeah, to watch them do that, that it would have been great. It would have been so and, cool. Yeah. And Absolutely. There, there's a, there's a Sony Walkman, blah, blah, blah. There's a, Quote here from Dave saying, I think when you hear Mr. Van Halen playing, mm -hmm. so I, I like that reverence to, you know, this is this is the the senior member. This is where these guys came from. They, you know, right. they got their love of music from this dude to kind of pay it back. That's that's cool that he uses not, you know, Ed's dad or whatever. It's Mr. Van Halen. Mr. Van Halen. That's exactly correct. Right. Yeah. And, you know, sadly, he would die about five years later at the age of 66. But he did live just a little bit longer than Ed, who who only made it to 65. Mm. Yeah. And I, I think that he that they wanted him to do it with them, like at the Hollywood Bowl or something live. And he was just like, no, nah, I can't. I just I just That's can't. I'm me. too nervous. Yeah. 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 But that's a, I mean, look, you got to love that one. Obviously, it, it may not be a huge hit or whatever. It's not 
like the, the great rock riffs that we've come to love Van Halen for. But as far as them having some fun and doing a Dave type of song, plus it's got Mr. Van Halen on it, you, you gotta yeah. love that one. Yes, yeah, that definitely ups the that ups the cool factor. And I can imagine like when he brought it in there, they were like, what? We're not going to do this. And then he kind of would talk them into it and then getting the the senior uh, Van Halen on there, it, it, it makes it a lot cooler. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of a silly track and it shows that they, they kind of have a humorous side to them too. It's not all business all the time. Exactly. Yeah. They're having some fun. Yeah. And then, well, let's see, we get onto the 11th track or fifth on the second side. That's the full bug. Mm-hmm. which to me sounds very Van Halen. I mean, it's like some of these are odd in the catalog, but then this is yeah. kind of back to, it's got that Dave squeal at the start. It's got the harmonies with the O's and the O's. Yeah. You know, and it's got a guitar harmonica duel, which you don't hear a lot. And so that, that makes it kind of cool. To me, this harkens back to the ice cream man. You know, you get that, a little bit. you get the, yeah, you get that, the acoustic intro, which I, think dave played and then right. you know kind of that that you know the dave his essence coming through here like this is you know hey look at me um you know i'm the coolest guy ever you know with this blues thing and then you throw in the van halen guitars and yeah and the harmonica played by dave yeah it it, it definitely sounds very van halen and it fits in with the rest of the stuff and again it's it's a nice transition in between Big Bad Bill, and then Happy Trails at the end. Yeah, and it may be the second best guitar work on the album. If if we mm-hmm. like Hang 'Em High the best, uh, I would say that this is this is up there. It, it's kind of cool, but it, it kind of seems like they didn't take a ton of time on it, which of course they didn't, right? Yeah, and some and sometimes that's where the magic is. That's right. That's right. But, you know, Dave, let me show you the best part of the man. I'm like, yeah, yeah we, we know what you're talking about. Dave. We, we get it. We want to have sex with girls. We, we understand. I know what you're talking about. I know what you're always talking about. <laughs> but God bless you, David Lee Roth. We need you in the world. Yes. Yeah. You know? you, yes. You you need that. You need that foil to the to the genius of Eddie Van Halen. Yeah. You need somebody to come in there and talk about how. Yeah. I'm going to show you the best part of a man, <laughs> or ice cream man with the you know all flavor. You know, guaranteed to satisfy. Yes, we got it. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. And then of course they finish off with Dale Evans. Bumpadita, 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 dita, dita. I mean, you know, it's just quick and easy. It was the B-side, the pretty woman. They're just looking to go on vacation. It's like, oh, we need a B-side? Okay, let's just do that. (laughs) It's like, oh, yeah, we can put it on the end of the album. So now the album's not 29 minutes and, you know, and and 58 seconds. Now it's 31 Mm. minutes and four or whatever. You know, it's still such a short album. I I don't – here's the thing. We may just – use that as our uh as our outro music from now on just like, you, just like all right thanks for tuning in guys see you next <laughs> week on the wolf ball buddy <laughs> it, it does it does kind of showcase the, that they can sing harmony well at least mikey King harmony so yeah. that was that was uh always underrated in the band but i guess they used to do you really got me half of it then stop bring alex out front sing this and then go back into it as their 
as their second encore. So I would I would love to have seen that, have them stop the show, sing this kind of goofy, you know, you've already been there for an hour plus, you've been right. up, hear this, and then it's time to go. That's interesting. That is interesting, you know. And the thing is, you've never, I've never in my life seen Dave on stage playing a guitar and singing. But apparently back when they were just getting started, he would often bring out the acoustic guitar and do Ice Cream Man, you know, when they were doing their shows back in the day. He played the acoustic guitar on the full bug, you know. So it's not like he has no musical ability. He just doesn't show it off on stage. He's just the singer. Again, he's an entertainer. He's not a musician. Mm -hmm. He's an entertainer. Yeah, and it's hard too. Like, oh, I'm. You're also going to play guitar with Eddie Van Halen? Nah, maybe I won't because that's probably <laughs> not the best idea. Yeah, you're strumming an acoustic, you know, right? Doing, you know, something like down in the valley or something like that. Well, he's going, <laughs> you know, you're just going to look foolish, you know. Although, <laughs> I mean, when they did on that live without a nut, they opened with "There's Only One Way to Rock," which is a Sammy song. Yeah, Sammy can do a little bit of guitar work. I mean, he's not just strumming an acoustic. He can actually jam a little bit, you know? Oh, yeah. No, he's he's really... I've seen him play. He's a very solid player, He and mm-hmm. especially on the rhythm side. Yeah, absolutely. But that's it. That That's your 31 minutes. So it has a couple of pretty good ones, got some really weird ones, a lot of short ones, but that's yeah. that's your 4 million seller in the U.S., <laughs> uh, you know, which, which leads into... 1984, which is one of the most important albums of the 80s, one of the most important albums to early MTV, and one of the most important albums to you and me growing up, dude. Absolutely. That's why I couldn't believe we haven't done it yet, but I'm definitely looking forward to it because <laughs> that's going to be a long episode, folks, just so you know. Yeah, yeah. And and our episodes are getting longer because we don't know when or how to shut up. Also, we're, <laughs> as long as you're not listening on YouTube, we are putting clips uh, of the tunes in there so you know what we're talking about here. But look at the success. I mean, 4 million in the U.S., platinum in Canada. We talked about how Pretty Woman hit number one mainstream rock and number 12 on the Billboard. But Dancing in the Street was 3 and 38 on those same charts. And even Secrets got the top 25 on mainstream rock. Little Guitars got top 35. You know, where have all the good times gone? Top 20, you know, full bug got on the charts, you know, so people were digging this and they were putting them out there. Radio stations were playing Van Halen. They were popular. They, they knew that something big was on the way. Yeah, and I think that they are the the only uh, band that's ever sold platinum, ever gone platinum with their first five records. Is that right? And, and yeah, I mean, all, everything went platinum for them. I think everything went platinum except maybe Van Halen three, maybe. Oh, Van Halen three that. did not. No, no, yeah, yeah. you're right. Well, but everything it, else, was, yeah. I mean, even even this, which was, was a cover record and not truly, you know, Van Halen original, still went platinum. They sold ungodly amounts of records. Tons. You know, they had two diamond selling records, and neither of them's a greatest hit. That's pretty hard to do. That's that's very mm-hmm. rare. You you've got to be like Pink Floyd or Def Leppard. It, it's very odd. I mean, the Eagles did that, sure, but one of them was a greatest hits album. You know, so right. as an American selling rock band, you got to be named Aerosmith or the Eagles to have outsold Van Halen. Yeah, yeah, and and I think that it's probably one of those things where they they, as much as I, it is a crazy thing to say. They don't get enough credit for being the band that they were because. They well, especially for us because they they switch lead singers there kind of when right. we got into it. So we never got the full effect of seeing these records come out when 
and they did. We kind of we kind of backed into them, right? Because we were a little bit young. But the other thing, the other reason I don't think they get the acclaim that they really should, because if you ask people who the greatest guitar player in the world was from like 1984 to 1994, almost everybody said Ed, Eddie Van Halen, like Eddie mm-hmm. Van Halen, or at least he would be in the top three or something like that. But people don't say that as much anymore because for the last 25 years, they basically put out nothing. You know, the Van Halen three was a misfire people just kind of ignored it they did some greatest hits albums they released some stuff that had been around for a while Mm -hmm. uh and then i guess different kind of truth had some newer stuff on it Uh, but like when they do bullethead well that was around since the 70s they just never put it down on an album you know so it's like for 25 years they basically didn't do anything and while they did have a couple of tours you know, okay we're back with dave and we're doing it now not mikey but we've got wolfie on board it's still just Although I went, and I'm glad I did, it, it just didn't quite recapture the magic that was Van Halen, and they never, they never moved on. They never kind of got over Van Halen three didn't work, so we're not really doing no music anymore. Yeah, and and I remember watching Live Without a Net, thinking, I mean, this is great, but if I'd have shown up to the fifty one fifty tour as a fan from the Dave days, I would have been very, very upset that I paid money to watch Eddie Van Halen play keyboards. For mm-hmm. most of this, most of the show, Sammy plays a lot of guitar in that incarnation. He does, I mean, he does the solos and everything, but he spends a lot of time back there on the keyboard. So the, even when we caught up to them, the days of him being like the guitar god were kind mm-hmm. of, he was moving more toward piano at that point in time. That's right. He's playing more piano, uh, like, you know, right now, you know, that's, that's a hell yeah. of a lot of Ed piano on there. Uh, and like we said, you know, you grow up, you have kids, you have a family, and you approach the world differently. You write songs differently. You approach your instrument differently. And so Van Halen did evolve. Uh, but usually there's a, at some point, like, you know what, we're going back to basics. You know, we're going to come back. Even when right. Dave came back to Van, we're going to go back and do things the way. It just, I don't know if it was the drugs and alcohol or what. It was like the creative part of Ed was gone once you hit the new millennium. Yeah, he he did struggle with some pretty heavy duty substance abuse problems. And I, I don't know, it, it's it's hard to keep reinventing yourself too. Mm-hmm. I think at a, at, a, at a point in time, you know, you kind of just get tired of it. You get tired of it. You know, you're, you know, you're always going to be compared to the stuff that came before that. So maybe you're just like, I don't, I don't even want to mess with this anymore. I've, I've kind of lost that, that fire to be this person. But I know one thing that he did say was that, you know, I think people might say that all my stuff sounds the same. It doesn't. No, especially on this record. He's got it. He's got a sound. Like when you hear something, you say, I know that's Eddie Van Halen, but this stuff does not sound the same. He, he changes it up enough. So he's got a very distinctive way of making this, the same effects sound different on these songs. Well, you know, and 20 years, it seems to me, now look, this is not me doing a lot of scientific research on this. Obviously, a lot of bands don't make it for 20 years, or if they do, they have a lot of low points along the way. But if you look at certain bands, after 20 years, they kind of drop off. Van Halen, after 20 years, they're doing Van Halen 3. Okay, yeah, that's a drop off. Kiss, from 74 to Revenge, they're doing a lot of stuff. But then after that, yeah, there's a big... Drop off the stones, 62 to 82. Yeah, Tattoo You is great. But then once you get into Undercover of the Night, and, you know, that kind of stuff is like, yeah, this is not uh, that great anymore. So, mm-hmm. and obviously we can even debate those bands. There were some high points and low points along the way, but it's like after 20 years, it's kind of like, you know, uh, I'm a different person now. Yeah. Life is different now. And, yeah, and you're just, you shift gears. 
Yeah, and your priorities change. And and it, yeah, you. I think you get tired of being everything you're doing being compared to the stuff that came before it. Like mm-hmm. it, it, this is something new. This is something new I want to do. This is something. It, it's a different. I, I don't want to keep retreading the same thing over and over again. And right. it sounds like that's all you people want is just Van Halen one all over again. But uh, look, it, it's a fun listen. It's not a long one. Uh, so <laughs> go ahead and and enjoy it uh, as best you can. There. Look, I. It, it's an important part of their of their legacy. It, it sold very well. It, it got, you know, in the top, whatever, all over the world, lots of airplay. It just kind of helped set them up for what would become the mega success of 1984, which would also allow for the band to break up. And no. we can get into that on another show. Yeah. And I would say this is probably not anyone's favorite record, but I think it definitely, it, it has its place and it's a, it is a fun listen when you go through it. Well, that wraps episode number 107 of the Ugly American Werewolf in London, folks, on Van Halen's Diver Down. Of course, Van Halen, very important to guitar heads like me and Jackson growing up. Growing up in the summer of 1984 was huge for us. So going back and finding the album that preceded 1984 and Diver Down it was almost a rite of passage. And of course, it had all those covers like Dancing in the Streets and Pretty Woman and Happy Trails on there. But there was a few bright spots in there as far as the new songs went. And I don't know. Look, if you've got five covers on there, then you're probably going to make a bunch of little short songs to make up for the revenue that you're giving away by doing all those covers. Bottom line is, it hit the charts in a big way. It sold four million in the U.S. alone, and it bought them some time to be able to go in and do 1984 right. And of course, that paid off in a big, big way. And like Jackson said, yeah, one day we'll definitely be doing 1984. We do like to do these things around anniversaries. We chose this because it was still 2022, which means it's the 40th anniversary of this, even though it came out in April. So you might have to wait till 1984. But here's the thing, folks. It's really only about 13 months away. So that's 40 years old, if you can believe that. So as usual, folks, we want to know, do we get something right? Do we get something wrong? Do we miss the point? Do we leave out your favorite part? You have got to let us know. You send us an email, uglyamericanwerewolf at gmail.com. You can also DM us at ugly underscore werewolf or at actionjack72. You can check us out on YouTube. You can check us out on Instagram. You can let us know the albums, the bands, the concerts, the DVDs, the books, the rock properties you want us to review. And next week, hey, we're going to bring in a very special guest, someone who has dozens of gold and platinum records to their name, worked with some huge artists over the years. We're going to have a fun time talking about his new single and some of the work he's done in the past 70s, 80s, and 90s. You're going to know a lot of what we'll be talking about. A little bit of a surprise, I know, but you'll just have to tune in next week to get that one. So thanks as always to Pantheon Pods. We're very proud to be part of the Pantheon podcast network of shows special thanks to rarevinyl.com there's still a little time before the holidays guys go to rarevinyl.com use the code podcast you can get 10 percent off all of your orders and get them there in great shape for the holidays do that now it's rarevinyl.com so i guess it's happy trails to all of you out there and remember folks to all of you rock and rollers all around the world be cool and stay safe Bomba dida, 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 bomba 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 d
when we're together Just sing a song and think about sunny weather It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.